For the scripture reading this morning, we turn to Psalm 84. Psalm 84, and we read this in connection again with Lord's Day 38 of the Catechism. And the Catechism's instruction regarding the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath day holy. Psalm 84. To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah, or perhaps a psalm by the sons of Korah. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who, passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages that we have the teaching of Lord's Day 38 of the Catechism found on page 22 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 38. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God, to hear His word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor, as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord, to work by His Holy Spirit, to work by His Holy Spirit in me, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. The 
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is your attitude towards church? What is your attitude towards the worship service and the calling to come to church on Sunday and gather for worship? When you pull into the church parking lot on Sunday mornings and you see the other cars rolling into church, when you walk through the doors and you say hi to the people walking by, and when you come into the sanctuary and you sit down in the pew and you look around you and you look in front at the pulpit and you look at all your surroundings, What thoughts fill your heart? Is your heart throbbing with joy? Is your soul excited to worship? Are you truly happy to be in the house of the Lord? I know getting ready on Sunday morning can sometimes be very hectic. The baby can be a chore on Sunday mornings. Sometimes we come with heavy hearts, having gone through a difficult week before. But the question is legitimate, and it's very important. Are we excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Are we eager for corporate worship? Do these words capture our thoughts? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Or these words. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Or these words, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Well, this morning we have our third sermon on this fourth commandment on keeping the Sabbath day holy. Remember in the first sermon we had, we looked at what the Sabbath day is. And we saw that the Sabbath day is a creation ordinance. It's built into the very fabric of this creation because God gave us the Sabbath day on the seventh day of the creation. We also saw how the Sabbath day is still in force in the New Testament time period. And Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, changed the Sabbath day from the last day of the week to the first day of the week with his victorious resurrection from the dead. In the second sermon, we looked at how we are to enjoy the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is a day of spiritual refreshment. It's a day to rest from our servile labors and enter afresh into the finished labors of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, it's also a day for physical rest. Now this morning, in this third sermon and final sermon on this commandment, we want to narrow our scope and we want to focus specifically on the worship service itself. That's what the Sabbath day is for. It's for gathering together as God's people and for worshiping the Lord. That, in fact, is what the Catechism itself emphasizes. First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. We already covered that. That's referring to the preaching of the gospel. And that's referring to seminary so that we have the preaching of the gospel. And we can keep the Sabbath day from week to week hearing God's word. And then it's also emphasized in the next phrase. And that I, especially on the Sabbath, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God. 
A big part of the Sabbath day is the divine worship service, where services, where God's people gather together as a church body, as an instituted church, and we meet with God and fellowship with Him. This is the aspect of the Sabbath day that we want to consider this morning in the preaching. And we want to do some self-examination. We really need to ask ourselves the question, do I delight in the Sabbath day? What is my attitude towards the worship services? We could even ask the question, what does my attendance record communicate about my attitude towards God? Is He my chief joy? This morning we're going to look at these ideas, especially using Psalm 84. So we take as our theme this morning, longing for church. We look at three things. First, the fervent longing. Second, the anticipated blessings. And then third, the great confidence. Looking at Psalm 84, especially, in Psalm 84, the psalmist has a fervent longing for worship. Now, we don't know the details of when this psalm was written. We don't even know uh, the one by whom uh, this psalm was written. Uh, The general opinion is that it was written by David, And that it was written at a time when David was unable to go to the tabernacle for worship. Um, Maybe uh, David wrote this psalm when he was exiled from Jerusalem. When he had to flee Jerusalem because his son Absalom was trying to kill him and take the throne for himself. It could also have been written by one of the sons of Korah. uh, Who went with David during that same time when Absalom was trying to kill David. The title says, for the sons of Korah, but it could also be translated by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were the ones who led, especially in the singing uh, at the tabernacle, who, who led in the worship. I, I personally am content with understanding this psalm to be written by David. Whatever the case may be, it is clear that the psalmist has a fervent longing for God's house. It starts with verse 1, how amiable. Are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts? How amiable, how lovable, how lovely are thy tabernacles. And the word tabernacles is there in the plural. We might think maybe it should be in the singular because there was only one tabernacle in Jerusalem during David's lifetime. But the word tabernacles is perhaps referring to the idea that there's first of all the holy place, the first part of the tent, the tabernacle, and then the second part, the second part of the tent, the most holy place. If you look at verse 2, verse 2 speaks about the courts of the Lord, the, inner, the outer court and then the inner court. Verse 3 speaks about the altars of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering outside the temple and then the altar of incense within the holy place. So what David simply has in mind here is, is the whole environment, the whole setting the, the priests and the Levites, the, 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 the holy place, the most holy place, the whole setup. And of course, he's thinking of everything it's pointing to, Jesus and the salvation of God's people in Jesus Christ. How lovely, how amiable are thy tabernacles. Then verse 2, he writes, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord, my heart And my flesh crieth out for the living God. 
And now here in verse 2, the psalmist uses very powerful language. It's not just a deep desire that the psalmist has for the house of the Lord. It's more. It's a deep pain he has. It's, a, it's an ache he has in his whole body. An all-consuming passion that the psalmist has for the house of the Lord. He's longing, yea, even fainting for the house of the Lord. His heart His soul, his inmost being, as well as his physical body, his flesh, is crying out for the living God. It reminds me of Psalm 42. And I think we know Psalm 42. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And then the psalmist says, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So picture David on the other side of the Kidron Valley, outside Jerusalem having been chased out by his own son. And now, on the other side, he's looking back at Jerusalem, looking on with fondness at the city of the Lord. And he's unable to go to the city. And you know what David says? David doesn't say, Oh, how I long for my palace. How I long for my bed. How I long for my throne and my scepter and my crown and my kingdom. No, but David says, The house of the Lord. That's where I want to be, the house of the Lord. Then verse 3, David says, Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And now there David is thinking of days gone by when he was able to frequent the tabernacle, and when he went there he could see the birds making their nests in the ledges and in the eaves of the tabernacle. And David says, oh, to have the freedom of the birds, to be able to swoop down into the temple, into the tabernacle, and even to build my house right there at the tabernacle, to have that kind of privilege, what that would be. And then thinking of that, his, his thoughts shift in verse 4 to the priests and the Levites who were able to live at the tabernacle. And remember, David doesn't have that privilege. David is king, but he's not a priest. So so he lives in the palace, but he doesn't live by the tabernacle. He doesn't live in those settings like the priests and the Levites. And so David says, how blessed are they who are able to live right there by the tabernacle. And then David's thoughts shift to those who would make the journey to Jerusalem to keep the feast days. And with verse 5, David starts to think on these things. He's thinking of the journey that the pilgrims would make and the kind of joy that filled their souls as they made the arduous trip. It was an arduous trip. Verse 6 talks about the valley of Baca. And the word Baca there means weeping. This was a valley of weeping that David is referring to. And we don't know exactly what that valley was, but it must have been a place like a desert valley, a, a difficult place that caused people ordinarily to weep because it was a difficult passageway. And yet David says in verse 6, that valley of weeping is changed into a well. It's changed into a place of refreshment. Why? Well, because the people have the worship of the Lord in Jerusalem on their hearts. That's what they have motivating them as they walk. And so they pass through this desert valley. It's actually not such a difficult place to pass through because they have the hope of reaching Jerusalem and being with the Lord at the tabernacle. That's David's attitude toward going to church. 
That was the attitude of God's people as they made their pilgrim journey to Jerusalem. They were excited. They were full of joy. Families would meet up with each other along the way and they would share the pathway to Jerusalem so that by the time you came to the outskirts of Jerusalem, there would be caravans of people all marching to Jerusalem, singing the songs of Zion as they made their ascent to the house of the Lord. And David thinks about all these wonderful things. And David sees himself in exile, unable to go to the house of the Lord. And David says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Oh, beloved congregation, do you feel it? Do you feel the longing of this child of God? And then remember, this, this psalm is for us. This is a song for us to sing. Is it our song? Let's apply this to the worship services and to the Sabbath day. Is this our attitude? Oh, how I love church. Oh, how I wish it was Sunday. Oh, how I want to be with God's people again. Oh, during the week I work hard. And sometimes it's hard to get out of bed during the week because, well, it's labor. Work is work. But Sundays, oh no, how I love Sundays. This is the one thing I desire. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. Not two things, not this thing and this thing, not having my heart divided. But one thing will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I might see the beauty of the Lord, and I might inquire at His temple. Is that where our heart is at? And why would it? Why would this be where our heart is at? Why would this be my fervent longing? Exactly because this is the house of the Lord. This is where the Lord Jehovah lives. Not, not this physical building, but here among his people. His people. This is where he meets his people and fellowships with them. This is where God's people gather, who are the excellent of the earth, in whom my soul delighteth. Even in the Old Testament, it's very striking. The tabernacle wasn't just called the tabernacle, but it also had another name, the tent of meeting. In fact, when God gave the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, God said that very explicitly. He says, build me a sanctuary that I might meet with you there. Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. And that's how it is today with God's relationship with his church. As his church takes on the form of an instituted local congregation and it gathers for worship under the oversight of elders, where you have the, the means of grace, the preaching and the sacraments, where God has promised to dwell with his people and be present with them, here in church is where God is pleased to meet with his people. I think that's worth emphasizing, so that we even put it this way. This ought to be the, the, the ruling thought in our hearts when we think on these things, that the corporate worship that takes place here in church is in its own category. 
Yes, we have private devotions. Yes, we have family devotions. And those are very real ways in which we grow in our relationship with the Lord. But what happens here in church is special. It is unique. Public worship is to be preferred before private worship. That's how the Lord views it. That's how we should view it. What does Psalm 87 verse 2 say? The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. This is where I have chosen to dwell among all the nation of Jacob, Judah. Here is my dwelling place. Again, I don't mean to minimize private worship or family worship. But what I want to emphasize is the necessity and the supremacy of corporate worship. That's what the catechism is emphasizing too, that I gather in God's house. Here at church, God has promised to meet with us. He's promised to be with us in the sacraments. Jesus has promised to be with us here. You can rely on it. When you come here, you will meet with Jesus. He's here in the preaching. We hear the voice of Christ. That's what, how we view the preaching. He has sent His servant. His church does it. You are doing the preaching. Christ does the preaching through you. Christ is here. This is, this is where God makes a special point of calling us to worship. Because this is where He's going to dwell with us. This is the worship He delights in. This is where He's operative. Here's where He establishes His home in a special way. Here's where He speaks of His saving acts in and through Jesus Christ in a special way. And our perspective should be this. It's actually what goes on here in church on Sundays that feeds and that fuels our private devotions and our family devotions throughout the week. Without this corporate worship service, all these other things would die off. They are not sustainable without church, without preaching, without the Sabbath day. That's why the Lord gave us the Sabbath day. And beloved, what I am saying here rings true to our own experiences. I know there are special circumstances. We grieve for those who can't come to worship. And the Lord sustains them by His own particular grace. But, but we know it by experience. We, you, you fall out of the rhythm of church life. You're kept from church for a week or two, even for a service. And you begin to languish. We experience that. And here is a word for us. Give every effort you can to come to the worship service. Don't stay home. Don't keep your family isolated. Don't be content merely with private worship. Don't be satisfied with sermon audio. What a tool sermon audio is when we have nothing else. But don't be satisfied with that when you know that there is the call to come and gather with God's people and meet with God here in His house. Don't sleep in. Don't give in to that easy excuse, but repent that that kind of thought should enter your mind. Here in church, God is pleased to meet with His people. This is where He's chosen to dwell. This is where He will meet with us. How can I be working? When there's church, I know there are those works of present necessity, and we can thank the Lord that He gives those who have that calling to take their turn to, to help out at the hospital or the nursing home, to help out um, with, with 
taking care when there are emergencies. But is, is this my attitude? Even young people, young adults, when you're thinking about a job and a career, it's not just a rule, I can't work on Sundays. No, God has set aside an appointment to meet with me every week. That appointment comes first besides any other appointments I make throughout the week. This is the relationship I prioritize. I know this is His will, but this is also my heart's desire. And then, and then if I bear a reproach for that, well, I will still prize my relationship with God above any earthly thing. Here's a word for me too. This is my chief calling, to be prepared for Sunday, to be ready to preach, that the preaching of the gospel be maintained. That's our calling, you know, in the support of the ministry too. That's my calling throughout the week. That's how I keep the Sabbath day. This is the minister's chief task. The minister has other duties too, but this is the chief calling. Preach the word. And I need to repent also when I treat the preparation I need to do for the Sabbath day, when I treat that lightly. Now to get back to this fervent longing, there's still one more thing we need to say in connection with that. And that's this, the desire for worship. The desire for the Sabbath day is a desire ultimately for heaven. That's what's going on with our desire. What we have here in worship is a foretaste of heaven. And our desire to come here to church for worship arises out of that desire for heaven. Right? To be with my God. Our marching to Zion every week, gathering for worship in the house of the Lord, it's kind of a picture in and of itself every week again of, of our marching to heaven. That's where I'm going. And as pilgrims and strangers, the Sabbath day and the divine worship services, these are oases along the desert pathway, along that valley of Baca, every week again as we make our trek to heaven. In fact, we should even put it this way. Going to church on Sunday is going to heaven. It is. That's how we meet with God. And in true worship, right? We're worshiping in spirit and in truth. We're caught up to be with God in spirit. That's what we do in prayer. We experience that very much in prayer. But that's also the whole worship service. Because we're not just going through the motions. We are present with the Lord, fellowshipping with Him, even, even through the preaching right now. Do you long for heaven? Does that reflect itself in your longing for church? This attitude we take to church is reflective of our attitude towards God in heaven and towards Jesus. That, that's why with the psalmist we truly say, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Well, we have that fervent longing for church and for the Sabbath day because of the anticipated blessings. We know there are blessings we will enjoy here. Here I want to shift from verse 2 to verse 10 in Psalm 84. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
Now, what you have there in verse 10 is Hebrew parallelism, where the second half of the verse expands on the idea and builds on the idea of the first half of the verse. A day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere, apart from God, in the tents of wickedness. Even being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is better than to dwell in earthly splendor. Or being in the back corner of church, being, being the sound booth man, being, being the custodian, right? That's, what's the, that's what the word doorkeeper is in verse 10. It's the custodian in the Old Testament tabernacle. And what was the job of the custodian? Well, he would take care of the scriptures, right? Remember when Jesus preached in Nazareth, it was the custodian, the doorkeeper who gave him the scroll from Isaiah, the custodian, the doorkeeper, would also keep out um, troublemakers from the church. He was, we could say, the, the security committee on Sundays or the Sabbath day. The, the doorkeeper was also, we could say, the one who took care of, this is kind of the New Testament picture, he took care of preparing the elements for the sacraments, the bread and the wine on Saturday night. He was given the job of keeping order making sure everything was how it should be. Sound booth, nursery, shoveling the walkway, so many things to do. And David says, I would rather be that man, busy on Sunday with so much holy work in the house of the Lord, serving God's people, even as they're worshiping. I'd rather do that than dwell at ease in a lavish estate apart from God. Why? Because I know that there are blessings to be found in God's house, anticipated blessings. And what are those blessings? Well, first, uh, as we already said, the blessing is we're, we're going to meet with God in God's house. We meet with the living God. Not a dead God, not an impersonal God, but the God with whom we have a relationship. That's why he's the living God. I know him to be the living God because we have a living relationship He's the creator of all things. He's the redeemer of the elect. And we meet with him and fellowship with him. We walk with him and talk with him. That's what the whole worship service is. Back and forth communication. Right? That's how it starts out, children. Beloved congregation. That's God speaking to you. And then we speak back to God. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And then he speaks back to us. His blessing. And back and forth we're going. And right now... We're opening God's word and we're hearing what God has to say, what the Spirit has to say to the churches, to God's people. So we meet with God. Second of all, not only do we meet with God, but we come to know the love of God. We come to know the grace of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit. As David says in verse 3, we come to the altars of God. And there we see at the altar. Just how great God's love is for us. Making the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the lamb, the paschal lamb, whose blood was shed for the remission of all our sins. That's why the tabernacles are so amiable, so lovable, because it's all speaking to us of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. God himself has come down to us. He's dwelling in a tent in the midst of his people. Not only that, but he's taken upon himself our flesh. He is Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And in the flesh, he shed his blood. He broke his body. He drank into his own soul the pains of hell. And he drank the full cup of God's wrath, the punishment due 
unto us for all our sins. And we get to see that. And we get to hear that. God is the one who confronts us with our sins. But then he's also the one who says, look, I provide the high priest who makes the sacrifice. I even provide the sacrifice itself and the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in the most holy place into which only the high priest can go once a year. That I, I see the blood of the mercy seat and it blots out your sins. While you were yet sinners, I sent Jesus to die for you. And now through him, Coming out of the tabernacle, I now raise my hands and I bestow upon you every spiritual blessing. I am the Lord, your Jehovah, your covenant God. I've made promises to you and I, by my almighty power and amazing grace, will keep those promises. I delight to forgive and I forgive your sins. Beloved, that's what God says to you this morning. He says, this is who I am. I'm the one who has saved you. You are the redeemed of the Lord. That's your joy. He's made you his own. He says, I've worked in you a true and living faith. I've drawn you to myself with an irresistible grace. The very reason that you're here in church and that you want to worship me and be with me is because I myself have put that in you. I've saved you from your sins and made you my people through the cross of my son, Jesus Christ. I delight in you. Remember last week, I call you Hephzibah and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Beloved, that's why our worship service is, is, is routine. It, it can sometimes feel that way, rather routine. It's the same order of worship every week again. We might say, why? Exactly because that's what you need every week again. We need this every week again. We have God's law read to us. We're reminded of the covenant he's established with us. We also hear the law, the obligations he gives us as his redeemed people to walk in thankfulness before him. Then in the very same reading of the law, our sins are exposed and we confess our sins to the Lord and the Lord forgives. And then we spend time together with God in his word. We fellowship together in prayer. God speaks to us of his grace and his glory in the finished labors of Jesus Christ. He speaks to us, even as we read it in the psalm, that he is a sun and shield and he will withhold no good thing from them that walk uprightly. Indeed, how blessed are you who trust in him. You see, we go through the same thing every week again. Because we, we have to go through that same gospel logic in every service. Because that's what our hearts and our minds desperately need. And the blessing of church is that we get to go through that. God, God brings us through that again, every week again. And we get to meet with him here. My chief prophet and teacher, he's going to teach me about his greatness and his love for me. My only high priest who's made the sacrifice, he's going to speak his blessing upon me. He's going to show me again that he is my complete Savior and my eternal King. He's going to work within me his Holy Spirit so that he rules me more and more. And as my King, he's going to lead me more and more in the way everlasting.
That's what my prayer is. And he gives me that on the Sabbath day. And that leads to the third blessing we can mention. Not only do we meet with God in church, not only do we hear of his love, his sovereign love and unconditional grace towards us in Jesus Christ, but third, we also anticipate the blessing of further transformation. We come here so that through our time with God, through hearing this good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, we might, by the power of Jesus' Spirit, be transformed by his word. Because we know that the word of God does not return unto him void. And either our hearts will be softened or they will be hardened. And we want, we need to be softened. We want to be changed. Changed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why we're happy with this sermon. Because this sermon, we are confident, will change us. It will change us going forward. Either to soften us or to harden us. But it will have its effect. And that's the anticipated blessing for God's people who come to church. It's going to have its effect. Christ is the one who transforms. So that we go out of church differently than we came in. Through the, through the means of grace. And the, the preaching, the chief means of grace. We receive Christ to ourselves. Our souls are fed. We are sanctified. Our wounds are bound up. Our bruises are mollified. Our hearts are comforted. Our spirits are refreshed. Here is where souls are saved. You realize that? In the house of the Lord. That's a blessing we anticipate. Bring your acquaintances. Bring others with you. This is where souls are saved. And here, here we also get to see God at work in the hearts and lives of each other. It's not just me singing. It's not just my little family around the kitchen table singing. This is the choir of the saints. And I see in my brothers and sisters the power of the Holy Spirit. And my heart is edified and comforted and strengthened as I see Christ in my brother and sister at church. And we even see each other taking in the preaching. And that is a joy. And so that's third. And then fourth. The great blessing of church is this. We actually get to worship God. We actually get to worship the maker of heaven and earth. We meet with him. We hear his love for us. We're reminded of the, the glorious lines that have fallen unto us in places large and fair and how we need that reminder. And then sinners such as us actually get to give glory and praise to such an extraordinary and glorious God. That's why we go to church. To give God the glory due unto his name. Isn't that a breathtaking thought? The God of the universe. Infinitely exalted and transcendent. Above all his creation. Has called you and me. And appointed us in Jesus Christ. To gather here for church. To worship and exalt his holy name. Beloved, there is nothing more extraordinary than this. What a privilege, what an undeserved honor to have our lips cleansed with the coal from off the altar, to have our hearts changed, to have our minds renewed so that we can give God worship for all that He is and for all that He has done for us and in us. That is what I'm looking forward to when I come to church.
that blessing of worshiping Him. Anticipating such blessings, I think it's worthwhile to consider how we prepare ourselves for these blessings. I think that's something we could talk about after church. Do we prepare ourselves for the Sabbath day and for worship? Are we home at night on Saturday nights? Young people, this is why your parents have these rules. Because what's going on Sunday is special, and we're not going to take it lightly by, by treating Saturday night recklessly. Are we ready for these blessings? Are we ready? Are we hungering and thirsting, ready for the feast? Are we ready for these blessings? You know, the good habits that we grew up with. I think when I was a child, the, the, the gospel music that was played on Sunday mornings, right? Setting the tone even before we go to church. Are these the things we enjoy? I'm not trying to be legalistic, but, but this is our intent. This is our desire to, to be ready for these anticipated blessings. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe an holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, they put that aside, but are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. So the Westminster Confession of Faith states that part of keeping the Sabbath day holy is that we prepare our hearts for the worship of the Sabbath day. And we, we order our common affairs beforehand so that we don't have those distractions come Sunday morning. That's because we have these anticipated blessings. We know the Lord is going to be here. Let's get ready. And what's the confidence we have? Having that fervent longing for church, anticipating those blessings, what's the confidence? The great confidence. Well, verse 11, our confidence is this. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. We come to church with a, a fervent longing for God. We come to church having our hearts prepared. We come to church prayerfully. And the Lord, your Father, your God, will not leave you empty-handed going out of church. From Sabbath day to Sabbath day, the Lord preserves and upholds His people. He gives them Christ he gives them a sense of His favor. He gives them courage and strength for their daily responsibility, for perhaps the valley that they're walking through. And then He uses weakest means to, to remind us all every week again that all our life, all our strength and prosperity must be sought in Him, ultimately. And truly, for those who can't make it to church, let's remember to pray for them. Visit them, be a blessing to them, and even use the Sabbath day to do these things so that they have their Sabbath day enriched by their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Something to think about, certainly. And our confidence is also this, not just verse 11, but our confidence is also this, that one day this earthly Sabbath will give way to the eternal Sabbath. That's my confidence. This this is the foretaste. This is the beginning of the eternal Sabbath. 
And that's when we will enter into the fullness of Jesus' finished labors. We will, we will enter into the full experience of what Jesus really accomplished through his death and resurrection. And we will see him face to face and we will dwell with him forever where the Sabbath day will never end. Let us enjoy the beginning of the eternal Sabbath already here below from Sunday to Sunday. May our God graciously grant it. May he truly write his law upon our hearts. That's where we are. This is a commandment. That's how glorious our God is. How good his commandments are. How right and highly to be desired, even above gold and silver. May he write his law upon our hearts for the glory of his name and for our joy. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we do pray, write thy law upon our hearts, every one of them. And now having heard this sermon, we pray, write this fourth commandment on our hearts that we might give thee the glory due unto thy name and we might truly enjoy the care of our Father on the Sabbath day. Lord, we pray, give us the fullness of the Sabbath day blessing and use, use this day. May we be diligent right now with this day to enjoy what thou hast given us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.